Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vine and the influence in the air that has helped them craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. This week, I'm going to be talking with Ryan Inman, and I think that you'll find Ryan to be a very interesting young man. He has two little humans and uh, runs a only financial planning practice specifically for physicians. And what interested me in interviewing Ryan was the fact that he was the co-creator of a program that we use here in our business called Loan Buddies. And Ryan and I share in a very deep mission to help people that are high income earners with high student loan debt navigate through the confusion of student loans. We don't just focus on student loans, so don't don't tune out if, uh, if you don't have them. There are all sorts of really good influences in this conversation that I think that you'll enjoy. So sit on back, grab your favorite beverage, and sip away. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance, with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now on to the show. Take it away, Amy. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me here. Super excited to be here. We are super excited to have you. Ryan and I met in person for the first time this year at a conference you guys have heard me mention before, which is the FinCon conference. We had a ton of fun. He was such a warm and welcoming individual and showed my brother and I around as we were first timers at that particular conference. So I so appreciated your time and efforts to make us feel comfortable in that environment. And Ryan happens to be a fee-only financial planner that works with physicians and Sorry to say, one of my favorite things that he's involved in is with the Loan Buddy application that was rolled out, what, about a year ago or so, Ryan? Yeah, almost two years now. And I'm, and that does make me feel sad that it is one of your favorite things because that <laughs> is like not very fun to talk about. Well, you and I both work with people that are generally high student debt and they have good income, but they don't know what their options are around that. And 
um, you saw a problem that existed in the software side of analyzing student debt and decided to do something about it. Um, and I'd love, I want to, I want to dig into a couple different things as we chat today, because first of all, you are one of the most diversified individuals that I know. You've got multiple businesses that you own that your energy level is unbelievable. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and how you have put some of those pieces together. Uh, so, so you're not just helping your clients, you're actually helping financial advisors as well, so financial planners as well, because um, you're, you're developing some different programs that really changes the face of the profession a bit as well. Um, but before I dig into some of that, I've got to know, because you're out on the West Coast, is everybody okay in your neck of the woods with all of the fires that are going on? Yeah, I'm in the south part of California, so there's not much happening here. But yeah, I mean, I don't know anyone affected. I know plenty of people are, uh, yeah. but at least with this round, the fire that happened um, out by Chico last year, uh, we, some of our family lives there and they lost their house, but mm-hmm. no one this time uh, around with you. I know there's some in the Sandy, I think it was San Diego area. I didn't know if you were being affected at all. No, not, not this time, like we're at least where I live. Good. Well, our thoughts and prayers are certainly out to everybody that's being affected by that. And I know the Sonoma area is also being affected by that, which mm-hmm. it breaks my heart also. Um, any Anybody going through those kinds of things is heartbreaking. Um, but I've got to know for you being out there on that West Coast, is there a particular winery or f- wine that you very much enjoy from your region? So it's funny that you mentioned that because at FinCon, I learned about how you love wine, which is weird because I did not realize that we had not met until then when we've known of each other for years. <laughs> and then we did that. Uh, but yeah, my favorite wine's called beer and uh, it's delicious. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't drink wine. My wife loves wine, but I don't really drink wine, which I know is a pain point for you. No, it's okay. I actually love beer too. <laughs> What is there a particular kind of beer that you like? Are you an IPI guy? I, or excuse me, IPA? Are you a dark stout? Or do you have a preference or is it just beer? So my, I kind of like all beer. I don't really like IPAs as much, but there's in San Diego, there's like a billion breweries, which is mm-hmm. amazing. Also not amazing for my waistline, but <laughs> there is a beer here called a uh, brewery called Belching Beaver and they have a milk stout. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. They have a milk stout on nitro at the brewery here in San Diego and it is Amazing. So if anyone is in San Diego, check it out. They have one in North and South County uh, for, uh, it's called Belching Beaver and it's the milk stout. And they also have a peanut butter milk stout, which is Mm. also delicious. (laughs) The fact that it's on nitro just warms my heart. I have to say it's It's getting close to the wine side. not on nitro, it's still delicious. (laughs) And like Costco carries it now, which is cool. But the nitro uh, at the, at the brewery with the atmosphere, it's amazing. So tell us about, as you know, um, I always like to relate lives back to the vineyard. I suppose you could say the hops yard to a certain extent in your case, but let's take a step back and talk about how, how did you become a financial planner and what made you want to focus specifically on working with physicians? And as you mentioned to me before we even got started, you don't even work with dentists. It's specifically physicians what directed you in that path? And then I would love to know when, you know, what day would you, did you wake up and say, Hey, I think I need to build this program called Loan Buddy. 
Okay. So I'll unpack that for a second. It's a very gentle way of asking me, how did you become a nerd? And I like that. So how did I become a nerd? Well, I knew at basically age like 12 or 13. I can't remember if it was 12. I think it was 13. And I would like do little summer jobs. And then I begged my mom to open up a TD Ameritrade account so I could trade the money that I'd made over the summer uh, to like basically make more money. And then obviously, of course, I'm 13. I have no idea what I'm doing. I made like every mistake in the book. I was doing options. I was doing like Mm. all sorts of day trading. I mean, it was terrible. At 13? At 13? Oh my gosh. I told you I'm a nerd, right? So I'm doing all these things and somehow I made money. Like still blows my mind that I actually did make money. Um, But yeah, I, I always was interested in personal finance. So I knew from a super young age that I wanted to do something in personal finance. Originally, I thought it was, well, I just want to manage money. That just sounds amazing. Like people get paid to manage other people's money. Sign me up for that. Like that's, I'm nerding out on the numbers and the analysis and all this. And then, you know, as you go through your training, you realize like how a lot of that marketing machine on CNBC is really just fluff and it's not real. And you know, you shouldn't be listening to their quote unquote investment advice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but I made all those mistakes early and now, um, you know, this kind of, you know, one piece of the puzzle, right. That, uh, or one piece of the pie, you know, is investments, but there's so much more to financial mm-hmm. planning. And I just absolutely love what I do. And, you know, the other part of your question is like, why do I work with physicians or how did I get into that? So my wife and I have been together since we were 18 and which would be freshman wow. year of college. And, uh, I didn't realize so you had been together that long. Yeah. So it's 17 years. So we're in our mid thirties and, uh, you know, she is a physician. So for those that don't know, she's a pediatric pulmonologist with the U S Navy and all of our friends are basically advisors or physicians. So we, <laughs> we have two groups of friends. Majority of them are physicians. So I'm the weirdo that is married to a physician, hangs out with physicians and, uh, basically has everything to do with their finances. Um, uh, but it, that, that's really how I kind of got into that is I, I'm one of them, right? I'm yeah. part of, I'm married to medicine. There's so many sacrifices that go into that. And, you know, being able to really relate and talk to people on what we're all going through or have experienced, I think it brings me a different set of joy, right? Knowing that it's, it's such a hard road and I can try to describe it, but it, you know, we'd be here for days because it's, it, there's just so many things that go into being married to medicine or being in medicine that are unique to that profession. Mm-hmm. And that's really why I only work with physicians because I, I really get that joy of helping them. You know, I look as you help one doctor, you help thousands of people, right? If the doctor's happy and not burnt out and doing their job and, you know, they're not focused on, you know, oh man, how am I going to afford to pay my bills and do those things, which is, some of them are in that, in that point. Um, you know, they're providing better care to their patients, which in turn helps all of society. So that's kind of what, what fuels me in that in the practice I'd started with, um, uh, had million dollar minimums and they didn't want to work with young physicians. They couldn't understand how they would make money and the traditional sense of, you know, they had, you know, million dollar minimum, their, their fees started at 1%. Uh, so, you know, how, how would they be able to pay a $10,000 fee if they didn't have any investments? And it obviously is super short sighted. And that's just the way that the industry is built, unfortunately, around you and I. But uh, yeah, so I, four years ago, I started my own practice, Physician Wealth Services, and just love the journey and everything with it. 
one of the, um, so, so we mentioned, I mean, you've known your wife since you, you said since you were 18. So you saw her go through the struggle of medical school and the cost of medical school. Oh yeah. And that's the, that's the crew that you hang out with, as you said. Yep. Three years residency, three years of fellowship, and then she became a full attending. Mm-hmm. So there's so much that goes into that. So um, most of we're your- all at college, you know, they still, she went through another 10 years of training. So most of your married life, she was in school. Or in yeah, we're in training. We're in training. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and you have a one little, little human, I call them. <laughs> I, have two, I have two little terrors. Two little humans. Okay. I have a five and a three-year-old. Now they're, they're amazing. I love what, and that's the other part of the motivation of why I do what I do. And, um, you know, I was working, you know, for someone else and commuting an hour each way. And it just, it was really hard to see the kids. And that just, that wasn't who I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. And so I figured out a way to work with the people I want to work with in the setting that I can work in. And I Mm -hmm. still do pickups and drop-offs and everything for the kids. Um, you know, I plan meetings around it. I do work late. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I work on a weekend, mm-hmm. uh, but it allows me to be there in the morning and be there in the afternoon. And that's kind of the the thing that I'm passionate about is just hanging out with the the little little humans, as you put it. <laughs> well, they're only little for so long, and then they don't want. I you know to hang they're out becoming with them. more independent. Mm-hmm. So then, about two years ago, so you had your companies. You started your own company four years ago, but back up two years ago, you you must have been thinking about Lone Body because if it's been out almost two years, you were already in the, the stage of this is something that needs to be creative. And for those that haven't listened, um, we did an episode a little bit ago. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, but Lone Body is a program that we use to help analyze student loan debt. And for us, we were previously using spreadsheets and we had to go out and get the data. And certainly if somebody gave us the data, then we had to make sure the data was correct, where you created a system that automated some of that uh, information, especially the downloading part. That's that's made such a world of difference in our aspect of things. When somebody can just go out and get their loan file and upload it into the system, then we know that that information is truly accurate. Like we're not relying on the client to print screens and give us information. We're just taking that file and uploading it and starting the analysis process. But what, what is it that, what little bug went off in your head that said, Hey, nobody offers this. I think I'm going to create this program. So our average client has $298,000 of student debt. So we were joking even before the show that, you know, I've, I've advised on 30 million of student loans, which is like three X more than we manage because again, we work with younger physicians for the most part. We do have some older pre-retiree ones, but uh, for the most part, younger physicians that have very little investable assets, tons of debt and, uh, you know, a nice income. And they don't understand, you know, the basics or fundamentals of money because they haven't been trained to think that way. And, you know, as we've put together so many student loan analysis, I basically just had some advisor friends that are like, hey, this is super helpful. Why don't you take this and market it to people? And, you know, to other advisors and, you know, allow them to, uh, you know, help their, their clients out with this. And I was like, I don't know, like, I don't know if anyone would be interested in it and kind of just built it for me. Like, I don't know. And like, we'll just throw it in the XY planning networks, um, (laughs) FinTech competition to see what happens. I was like, all right. I mean, it probably won't get selected, but sure. 
And of course it gets selected and of course it goes through and, you know, it didn't, it didn't win, which is totally fine uh, because we have no venture backed money. Like this is just us seeding it and mm-hmm. our little creation in a small team. But that's kind of where it started with advisor. Now we've got, you know, 200 million of debt that's been analyzed on the platform and, you know, hundreds of advisors that use it, which is super fun to see how it's grown from literally just an idea in my head of like, I don't know if anyone will actually use this to like hundreds of millions of dollars of debt has ran through the system and more obviously every day. Uh, but that that's really where it started. And, you know, it was just to understand like where what's happening with people's student debt. And most advisors, they take the horrible wrong approach, almost like the Dave Ramsey of just, oh, well, just, you know, refinance it and then snowball the payment. You're like, no, that, that would be the worst thing that someone could actually do because there's so many different steps and nuances to, you know, understanding student debt. You know, maybe it's better to go for public service loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Maybe the person can't afford a refinance and they got to stick through an IDR payment, uh, you know, until, you know, they end up, you know, finishing training and, and can come out and pay. I mean, there's all sorts of different things. Yeah. And but s- most of the advisors are just, yeah, snowball it, you know, pay it off quickly. And, and some of it too is the fact that they don't even know what the options are that they have available, right? So like um, one of my relatives, they've had student loans that actually date back before student loan forgiveness was an option and they had the wrong type of loan for student loan forgiveness. But there's ways that we can work around that. There's ways that if we can get the information, we can actually create solutions. We just have to know what they have to begin with. And and when I know before, when I would ask them, well, do you have, what kind of student loan do you have? Is it a direct loan? Is it a FFEL loan? Is it a Perkins loan? They'd be like, I don't know. They have no clue. So, so being able to upload that information, as I mentioned, that's one of the best, best things for us. And I'm sure for many of the physicians that you're working with um, just having them understand, like get everything on one table and, you know, just see what they have, that that's got to be eye-opening to them. Their their heads are down. They're looking at what they need to get done to graduate, get their training done. They're not necessarily focused on some of that until, until it's time, right? Well, most of the time they're embarrassed or ashamed of the mm-hmm. debt that they've accumulated accumulated. And I tell them, you know, this is, you bought a business. Mm-hmm. It's in, for them, it's very different. I think attorneys, it's is probably pretty similar too. Mm-hmm. I know the numbers are, are definitely different, but you bought a business. It just happened to be the business that was in your head yeah. and it wasn't a tangible thing that someone can see. And that's okay. Obviously you need to protect the business, right? You have to learn how to save. You have to learn how to invest. You definitely have to protect it with some insurance, mm-hmm. right? Disability term, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're buying a business and a multiple of, you know, if you had 300,000 of debt and you're going to make 300,000, you know, a one multiple is, is a great valuation yeah, for a yeah, business. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is they're not trained at all in understanding one student debt or personal finance. I mean, checking accounts, credit cards, you name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no formal class yet. They've had, you know, 20 plus years of, of education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Um, and that's part of kind of what we do is, is helping them with that, uh, you know, education gap in a real non-threatening uh, way um, because usually they're one of the smartest people in the mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. And you I know, do think you're... The 
right up there. Right. And I think your point is very valid about the fact I've had so many people come into the office, as I'm sure you have. And like you said, the embarrassment is there. And I will, one of the first things I will say is, you know, wait a minute. I am not a trained attorney and I would never want to pretend to know the law the way that you do. Um, the only reason I'm knowledgeable about finance is because I've been trained to be knowledgeable about finance. So it's not something we're born to know. It's not like breathing. We weren't born with this, <laughs> you know, knowledge that says this is how you should do finances. So I, I do think that the, the the more educated somebody is, or the more education a job requires, that level of embarrassment is greater because they're thinking, "I have ten years worth of training under my belt. Why don't I know basic business or finance?" Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, like for us, right, as we we go through our training and we we learn how to work with money and what money is and how to use it or you know alter it in in a way that will make it so we're living out our best lives. Everyone has to deal with money. I don't have to deal with the law yeah. every day. Of course, I know the general laws of like, don't break these ones, <laughs> but I'm not going to fight and argue through and try to fix like what attorneys are doing, mm-hmm. but everyone has to spend money and they're expected to know it. And this is a big flaw with our whole education system mm-hmm. around it. And even starting with the parents, like parents need to understand it, then teach their kids at a super young age. And there's not much that we can do other than provide education out and hope people listen right. and read and right. start to, to understand. But no one's expected to be an expert in our field. And that, and if you want to nerd out on it and you want to listen to podcasts and read books and, you know, get really in depth and take some classes, have at it. That's awesome. Like there's plenty of DIY people out there that are plenty smart and can do this stuff. But most people, they want the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> they don't want to spend a lot of time. They're not going to truly enjoy it like you and I do. And that's okay. And those are the people that should really seek out help, but not everyone has to work with a planner. And I think that's the biggest misconception out there is that everyone thinks like, oh, I either, it's, it's extremes. Uh, Why would you work with a planner? You can do it all yourself. Are those people that do the DIY? And then everyone else is, well, I have to work with a planner and I'm helpless. And I don't think either one are good. I think there's a, there's a middle ground there that people should be responsible. I mean, no one should care more about your money than you do. Uh, even though I know you and I both sometimes feel like we care about <laughs> someone else's money a little bit more than they do, but no one should care about your money more than you do. But if you just truly don't love it and you're not excited to get off work, put the kids to bed and then start reading up on different you know accounts and, and different investments and trying to figure out where you should be putting money and how you should be setting up a budget and having those conversations with your spouse around what went out and what came in this month, then you probably should reach out to someone. Yeah. And sometimes I think it takes that focus. It's almost like a date night for some of my clients. I think they, they are so busy with what's going on in their lives that by having um, a third party involved, it brings them back to center on something that would otherwise get sort of pushed under the rug. You know what I call that? I call that getting financially frisky with your child. <laughs> totally call that that. I even put it on the back of my business card. Because I believe in that. I believe we should have money dates. I really do. And there's not, that does not mean for the engineers that are listening that you pull open like your laptop and you show them your spreadsheet. You're like, look, honey, check this out. Because that is not the way to do it. I tried that first. It didn't work. So just take my word on that. And we've evolved into, you know, 
I, I don't deal with a, a bottle of wine, even though maybe I, I should. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll, we'll go out to a, a, you know, a, a normal dinner once, once a month that we'll try to go on a date night. Um, and you know, sometimes we'll talk about it there. Sometimes we'll, we'll just talk about it at home and we'll just have a, you know, crack open a mm-hmm. beer and just sit at the table, let the kids go play and do something. And, you know, I just kind of say like, Hey, this is what kind of came in. This is what went out and this is what we did good. This is what we did bad. And, you know, is there anything that's coming up that mm-hmm. you think, you know, we should talk mm-hmm. about on, uh, Oh yeah, my, my boards are, you know, coming up and, mm-hmm. you know, in, 10 months and this is what it's going to cost because our boards are really expensive or, Hey, I've got to fix this pals training card and it's going to cost 300. Oh, great. Cause those are things that I had no idea were mm-hmm. coming. Uh, so we can plan ahead or I could say, Hey honey, my laptop's dying. Um, you know, I think I'm going to end up buying a new laptop here um, in the next six months. And you know, so I'm putting this amount of money away for it, whatever the goal is. Hey, we're going to take a trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's plan for that. You know, just having that open line of communication and then you don't have to know like, Hey, we're going to take a trip and it's going to be $3,322. Like, no, you just say, we're taking a trip. We think it's going to be about this amount. We should probably start saving $500 yeah. a month for that Back trip. Into it. What do you right. think? Right. And just having that call. And then there's always going to be that household CFO, right? One person that's kind of responsible for the household. The other one's like the check and balance concept of this is where you run the ideas by me. But in reality, one person really kind of handles paying the bills and all that. This is your way just to check in with the other person. It's that check and balance, but do it in a fun way. Don't do it in a, Hey, check out my spreadsheet. Cause it, that doesn't work. Now, and and, and I, one of the things that I, because I do work with very analytical people, most, most of the, to the people that I work with are, you know, like I mentioned before, engineers and attorneys and, they are very type A, just like I am in nature. I think that's why we do get along very well. But they they want to understand the mechanics of things. They, the engineers want to see the detail. The attorneys want to know, okay, big picture. Like, give me the facts behind how you've come to your conclusion. So there are two different sort of approaches that we work with them on. But I find that that with the significant others, because it's a lot of women that bring the relationship to the table for me. Um, the So the women are engineers and they're the attorneys and they bring the relationship, even if they are married to the table and they want to know, am I going to be a bag lady? I mean, that's the core of it in most cases. Like how do I assure that that not happen? And um, it's always, it's always very interesting, the dynamics of safety um, and again, it, it for me, just watching the two interact often and have those discussions is, it, it gives me great joy um, to be able to see them to come to some sort of agreement. I'm sure, I'm sure it's the same way with you. When they first start working with a planner, there's usually, as you said, one that's sort of the predominant um, CFO in the household and one that's like, I don't really know why we are here. <laughs> Other than I was told we're going to seek a financial planner, <laughs> and yeah. then they—that's well, okay though. There's a, there's a time and place yeah. though for it, right? There's a time and place to like super nerd out, get into the spreadsheets, yeah. and figure out where money's going, what it's doing. But that is the not the time. No. <laughs> yeah, you're you're talking with your spouse who is not Type A and an yeah. engineer, yeah, and really should be informed, should know where the money is, but trusts the household CFO yeah. to get it done. That's. Yep the high level conversation of we're thinking of this, what's your input on that? You know, it's, it's, it's high level, it's non-threatening and it's definitely not super in the weeds, nerdy, check out my spreadsheet <laughs> stuff. We try not to be too nerdy, nerdy anyways. What's up? 
they're just going to show unless you're married to an engineer yeah. and then that's how they want to yeah. talk and that's how they want to receive. But like understanding how your spouse wants to receive the information. I don't care if it's male or female, everyone receives information in a different Everybody. way. So understand how your spouse wants to receive information, understand how you'd like to receive information, realize it's probably different than your spouse and how they want to receive information. And that's how you should frame the conversation. If I was married to an engineer and I love spreadsheets, our money date would include a spreadsheet. <laughs> like, cause we'd both be excited to do it. But I know my wife, she's not excited when I talk about spreadsheets. I even refer to on the show as the dreaded B word, right? We don't want to talk about budgeting because as soon as it happens, like there goes half the listeners or everyone's attention, uh, even though it's really important to cash flow plan. But I know that if I say, Hey honey, I want to talk about our budget. I yeah. lost instant. Yeah. So I have to think of different ways to bring it up. And still after 17 years, we're still trying to figure out the exact best way to do it, but it's not a spreadsheet. And I just know that. And you mentioned, I just want to shift gears just a little bit because you mentioned it, your podcast. So you have a podcast called the Financial Res- Residency Podcast um, that people can, if they want to listen to, I think that although it's directed towards uh, physicians, it's also got a lot of great information in it. And people are constantly asking, where can I get more information? And so I'm always trying to promote other uh, podcasts that they can get different tips from or, or ideas from in addition to uh, the work that either I do with them, somebody else does with them, or just to reiterate what we have said. Because sometimes it does take a couple times for people to hear particular concepts or ideas in order to, to the, for them to feel comfortable with it and to sink in. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I think the show, it, I mean, obviously it's geared for physicians, mm-hmm. but the show would really provide benefit around student yeah. debt. I think that mm-hmm. is probably the biggest driver because I unfortunately like to nerd out on student debt. And so I've brought on some guests. I've brought on some attorneys who literally only work uh, in the student debt realm who are involved in, you know, creating some of these Mm -hmm. laws that are coming out and seeing what's done. So, you know, we talk about the, you know, survival of public service loan forgiveness, what's happening. I think that's the piece that um, everyone here would actually get a lot of value out of. Um, I, I appreciate you mentioning that. So I want to ask you a quick question too, because earlier today you said something about burnout and you were talking about physicians when you were mentioning it, but you are involved in a lot of different things. Um, when, when I, when I'm, oh, when I'm, especially when I'm interviewing other financial planners, we also have the risk of burnout if we're not careful. And I'd love to know, um, how, you know, how, how have those moments in your life, uh, been presented and what have you done to recover from them? Because I think that's helpful for everybody to hear those kinds of things. Yeah. So, I I mean, I do a lot of things, right? So I'm not just a financial planner. I help with some family businesses. Mm -hmm. And I think part of to understand what I do, I do, and I know you think I'm crazy and you just say it in a nice (laughs) way, is I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so it's always been ingrained from like literally day one, um, you know, just business has been all around me. And I was so fortunate to grow up the way that I did um, because um, my family was extremely successful in what they were doing. Now, I was the first one on both sides of the family to graduate college, to graduate with not just one, but two graduate degrees. Like no one had done that in my family, yet they're all really, Mm -hmm. really successful. And so I think that's a frame of reference. And I'll tell you, uh, I don't really tell anyone, but I'll tell you because I think it's kind of funny and goes along with this. When I decided to branch off on my own and to start my own practice, 
I of course call mom and I say, Hey mom, just, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Um, you know, and I wasn't like looking for approval mm-hmm. or, or anything, but I, you know, it's my mom and she's brilliant. So I'm like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. She's like, Oh honey, I'm so excited for you. That's gonna be so fun. You know, you've been talking about this your whole life. Like, you know, go, go do it while you're young. My like, call cool. about an hour later, I get a call from my uncle and my uncle goes, so I heard you're starting to practice. I said, yeah, he goes about damn Aww. time. And I'm like, all right, like, cool. Thanks. Like for the words of encouragement, but I know what he was meaning. Like it's, you know, it's, it's ingrained. It's who, who I am. It's their whole family is just a bunch of entrepreneurs. So yeah, I mean, I'm busy and I work through a lot of things, but I'm the guy and I truly, honestly, this is it. I love the journey. I don't like actually the reward of like, oh, we got a new client. Like that, that mm-hmm. excitement is not there for me. It's, hey, I was able to help someone through mm-hmm. this process or hey, this fell apart in the business, but here's how it, I came back and got around it. Here was that big challenge and here's how I conquered that challenge. The journey for me is the prize. Like I love that piece. And if I ever got bored, it's because it wasn't challenging enough uh, for me. So I don't really feel the burnout in that sense because I am not the type of person that's, you know, pissed that it's Monday and stoked that it's Friday <laughs> afternoon. Right. And, it, and, it, and, it, and if you're out there and, and there probably mm-hmm. are people listening to this and I don't mean disrespectful or insensitive, but if you're listening and you're like, yeah, I hate Monday and I love Friday afternoon because I get the weekend, you're doing the wrong mm-hmm. thing with your life and life is super short. So instead of hating 70% of your life, find something that you're truly passionate about. And for me, that was always financial planning and investments and those things. It started obviously with investments and then I, my knowledge grew and realized that it was only one piece of the puzzle. But that is, that's, that's me. Like I work a lot and I, you know, love my kids, but this is what I truly enjoy. And I love that, that journey. Well, I think one of the things that I just want to reiterate that you said, I often will ask people um, because, well, first of all, let me back up. People will often ask me when, when am I going to retire? Um, I'm not that it, not that I'm that old, but they want to know. I mean, they want to make sure their planner is going to be around for a while, right? And I will say to them, gosh, I hope I have the ability to work for another 25 years. You know, I, I hope my brain and my body and everything will allow me to continue at least that long. I have no intention of retiring because I love what I do. On the other side, when people say to me, you know, I only have nine more years that I have to work. The sadness that I'm, that I feel when somebody says that to me, because you're wishing, you know, using the words only, or you and I are using the words, we get to, we get to get up on Monday and we get to get up on Tuesday. And, you know, sometimes it's seven days a week, this, you know, that we, that we work and it doesn't always feel like work because of, of our social interaction with clients, but we get to do it. Those are the terms that we use. So when we hear the words, I only have, or, you know, those break my heart. And to your point about if you hate getting, if Monday brings you anxiety and you hate getting up and doing it and Friday brings you such joy um, until Sunday evening when you start to feel anxiety again, then it is, it is important that we talk about what is the, what is it that we can turn around and what, what do we need to do differently to, change the mindset of what you're doing or where you're doing it. One, and number, you know, it doesn't matter which phrase you use, but I know when I talk to a lot of people, I use 
the vineyard analogy a ton because it's fun and people can, as a general rule, relate to it. And I'll say, okay, we've developed your vineyard. We've, you know, your roots are there. We need to make sure that we um, nourish those roots and those vines a little bit to make sure that they continue to grow and develop and, you know, transfer themselves in a proper way or else the grapes are going to be poor quality and you're, you know, just going to see the vineyard to become nothing. And so I, you know, I love that you brought that up and that you, you are blunt about it to say that if you don't like, if Monday morning brings you that unhappiness, then we need to be talking about what are your other options? And sometimes that happens with really high level jobs like physicians and attorneys and engineers, you know, they just, they love it. They love the idea behind it. And then they wake up one morning and for some reason they're not loving it. And what do they do now? It's not sometimes it's almost all the time. Those discussions happen because at least with physicians, they didn't get into medicine to be rich. Yeah. Because if that's the case, like everyone thinks physicians are rich. They're not. They go through so much delayed gratification, so much uh, student debt. They, they, there's tons of red tape and bureaucracy. And now, I mean, you, you know, healthcare is getting kind of thrown around in, in media and it's just, yeah. and they're, they're viewed as the top 1%, the evil people. And it's just, it's a really hard thing. I mean, t- Taylor going through training, my wife is Taylor, uh, going through training every fourth night, she spent the night at the hospital. I mean, imagine going through your training for six years and it's like, yeah, every fourth night, you just don't have that night. You literally sleep in the hospital. It's a really hard lifestyle. And some people choose the professions where they work in the emergency department. And that's all that they do. They do Some of them do 24-hour shifts. Imagine doing 24 hours of straight planning, not being able to sleep. <laughs> and, and, and we're only dealing with numbers. Mm-hmm. We're not dealing with people's lives. Nice, yeah. It's a really hard profession. Yeah. Um, so burnout is, is, is a big thing to them because they're getting squeezed on both ends. Mm-hmm. And then you add kind of like the gasoline on the fire where they usually blow up their finances. And I, I call it lifestyle inflation. Mm-hmm. They go from making, you know, 60,000 a year to 300,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've been, you know, eating essentially uh, kale and water. And all of a sudden you're putting, you know, five course meal in front of them. They're just going to, you know, eat it all. And that's what they do with their finances. They just spend everything and, uh, and then that accelerates it. So the conversations that, you know, a planner should be having with someone are around these really important topics. And, and I, I didn't mean to be too blunt, but it. No, no, no. It's, it's great. And, and you're a kinder, uh, you went through the kinder program, correct? Yeah. I'm a registered life planner. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you don't mind taking just a few minutes and explain, because I think that's really key to it. I haven't gone through the program yet. Um, and I was thinking about going through, they have a two day and then they also have the five day. And I talked to a lot of people that know me and they've all said, don't bother with a two day, like just go to the five day. Like That's what you need to do because perhaps the number of years I've been practicing I, or maybe just the fact that people know me and know that two days is just going to thirst me for the five. I don't know. Um, but tell, talk a little bit about what the core of that program is for just a few minutes. Yeah. So in order to become the registered life planner, you go through the two day event, you go through the five day event, and then you do a six long, six month long mentorship. And the two day is really the first little 
uh, piece. It's the first chapter really of, of understanding this is, there's no numbers presented mm-hmm. in this stuff. This is all the behavioral side and understanding you know, how to talk with clients, how to actually listen better. Uh, that's been something that um, I didn't realize how poor of a listener I was until I went through this training. Mm-hmm. And I think it has really helped not only with the clients, but also in my relationship with friends and my mm-hmm. wife and and even the kids, I'm, I think, a better listener uh, mm. there. But the two-day really uh, gives you the overview of, of how does, what is someone's belief around money, right? And he's got the seven stages of money maturity. And then the five-day, and I think the five-day was the best part of the three different pieces. And the five-day, you're literally going through and figuring out how to do an actual life plan for someone. And you, you pair up in groups and, you know, one advisor like life plans, the other advisor Mm -hmm. and they take five days. Now we don't obviously take five days with clients. Mm -hmm. We do this in a couple of meetings, um, stage out over a couple of weeks of time, but the five days really that transformational piece where I learned, I actually had to listen better. And that, um, is, it was a phenomenal experience. If you don't care about the registered life planner designation Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and you just want to go and become a better listener or just learn how to, um, communicate more effectively with nonverbal cues, then the five day is mm. amazing. Mm. Um, I liked the whole, the whole piece. And then the mentorship um, essentially is uh, once you leave, you take this, you start implementing your practice. You, everyone does a case study. You're all critiquing each other's cases. And then you're getting real feedback from the coaches of what you did, what you did well, what you could have done better, mm. different ways to approach it. Hey, maybe you should talk to them and ask them these type of questions. So it's really kind of that, feedback and you get pretty instantaneous feedback from the coaches Mm -hmm. and other people in your groups. And some people are better than others and and that's okay. I mean, that's just how it works. Um, But, you know, getting that feedback from a group of 20 people that can help you is also nice. So I loved the program. Absolutely loved it. And I catch every once in a while, I catch some of their webinars that they do. And it's just, I think a fascinating thing. And I wish, I wish this was required for all planners. (laughs) Just like I would, financial planning, you know, financial, personal finance was required for, uh, you know, the entire world. Yeah, me too. Me too. I I hear you. I've actually tried to get both my alma mater as well as some of the community schools to, to require it to be uh, as a gen ed um, class, uh, just because I think it's that important, like no matter what you do. And I'd love to even see it in the high school levels because not everybody goes off to college. You know, we have some really good people in the trades that, could really utilize some personal finance information um, that just would it would it would it would stop them from making some unknown mistakes early on, right? So I have a little renewed hope. Uh, I didn't have much until son went to a new school, and his teacher he's in he's in TK, right? And it's like TK and kindergarten put together kind of deal. Okay. And she realized that I works in I work in finance, and she asked me to come talk to them because my son understood the money piece when they were counting money and understanding what it is. And he knew like, this is what you save. This is what you give. And this is like what you spend. And she was like blown away. figured out that I work in finance because my son said, I'm uh, a financial residency podcaster. <laughs> was my job. 
And so she asked exactly what I did. I told her, and then she goes, would you come talk to them? Cause I want all the kids to understand how your son understands money already. And that obviously made me feel really good. So I have hope that, you know, they're going to start learning these in, at earlier ages. <laughs> I love that he picked that up. <laughs> financial redis- I'm a financial residency podcaster. podcaster. <laughs> He's heard it. <laughs> Well, I know that you have, uh, I know you have to run off and be with your clients here in just a few minutes. So I will ask you just a few final questions and just want to say thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule for creating the Loan Buddy program for the rest of the world to, to benefit from. Um, so the last three questions that I love to ask, and I, I heard a little bit of this throughout the podcast already, but what are you most passionate about as a person? So I'll, I'll take that into, answers. Definitely family and my kids. Um, I'm super into sports and I just look back at my childhood and my stepdad didn't miss a single game. I was on like five traveling basketball Mm -hmm. teams. I played volleyball. I played volleyball in college. Like I am super into sports and I want to be able to do that for my kids. So what I'm most passionate about is teaching my kid how to play sports and, you know, about teamwork and, Right now, he loves to win and gets pissed when he loses. So we're working on that right now. <laughs> um, but, but absolutely, that's what I'm most passionate about is being with them and figuring out you know, all the fun stuff. And then I think work-wise, I really just get into the education side of, of personal finance, especially with physicians, because I've seen all those pitches firsthand, all the crap products that they get handed out. And you know they, they deal with so much stuff, right? They work super long hours. And they have all this education, but nothing in personal finance. So what am I passionate about? I think it's educating physicians on personal finance. And I think education in general, for many of us, is I think it's really critical that we feel that when they are working with us, it's not just about us giving them guidance and advice, but they actually understand it and can... Yeah. I, I love those connections. I don't mean to interrupt, but those connections of like, this is what it is and this is how it relates to you is like mm-hmm. the most amazing thing. When someone's light bulb goes off in front of your yeah. face, yeah. it, that is the best feeling ever. And that's why even like our financial plans, we write them in a soap note or a progress note, um, which is uh, for those that aren't in the medical field, that is the way that you go to a physician. They, you know, they come in, they say, Oh, Amy, what's going on? And you tell them and they leave. Well, when they chart and write their notes later, they write it in a format, um, subjective, objective assessment and plan, soap note. And literally we present a plan to them. Uh, it's not their patient's life though. It's their financial life. Yeah. And so yeah. the connections are made there and it's, it's so fun to see the light bulbs. And that, but they relate to that. That's, that's what you've got to find the key to it, right? So when um, I always ask people when they come in and first start working with me, I'll say, what would be a successful relationship to you? You know, when you're, as you're moving through this journey with me and, and with your family, really, what, what would you ideally feel as a successful relationship? And it, you, if you know where they're coming from, or you understand, um, like in your case, the soap notes, when you understand their terminology, it it really makes the conversation relatable. And so you can educate them in their terms and their ways and they'll implement. That's, that's what I've discovered anyways. So what feeds your soul? That's a good question. I, I'd have to come back to just saying, um, obviously the family and the journey of growing a business. And I mm-hmm. think really 
on the on the business side is watching my ideas come to life. Well, that's been very exciting then, I'm sure for you. <laughs> that's how I do it. it. If I don't like it or it doesn't bring me joy, like not to Marie Kondo this and what sparks joy, mm-hmm. but you know, it's funny because I've been saying that before she was doing this stuff. Or got popular. <laughs> it, it really is like, what brings you joy? And if something does and you know it, what makes you happy? Go do that. Go do more of that. Spend more money on that and yep. forget, a, you know, a lot of the other material pieces that don't necessarily bring you joy. Love what you do and do what you love, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then f- the final question that I love to ask people, because it's so different for everybody. And I think no matter what you're doing, um, at the core of our day, we need to feel successful as people. Our vineyard needs to be full. It needs to be fruitful. So what is your definition of success? I crack up every time someone asks me this question. I do because my answer is so childish and silly, but it's, it's to be able to work without shoes on something that I love. (laughs) I love it. Cause do you know about my flip flop thing? Have you ever heard me talk about that? No, but I, I mean, all I wear, I'm in San Diego, so all I wear is flip-flops. But. <laughs> so uh, one of my clients, um, and I'll have to send her a particular link to listen to this because she and I have this thing where we don't wear shoes before Veterans Day. We wear flip-flops. I mean, yes, when I'm at work, I do. But outside of work, we, we do not wear shoes. We wear flip-flops until Veterans Day. That is the rule. And I'm in a very cold climate until just after Veterans Day, but I don't care. It's the comfort of it. And yesterday I worked from home and guess what I wore? Flip-flops. <laughs> so I love your answer. <laughs> yep. Yeah, not, not, not even like flip-flops or sandals or whatever, like without shoes. Like if I have to put on shoes... Uh, and it's fine. I mean, obviously I do other things and and that, but like, if I had to go to work and put on shoes, like I'm not winning. (laughs) Well, I I think you've probably met your definition of success, success, unless you're going to a conference and you actually have shoes on, but (laughs) yeah, we want to say thank you so much for being on the show today, Ryan, and for all that you've done to help us be better financial planners with Lone Body and just in the profession in and of itself, you've been a big advocate for uh, turning the page on what financial planning is from my aspect um, anyways, that you know we, we do do investments, but investments are just a tool in our toolbox and they are not the plan. And for all that you're doing to get the word out there, um, I guess you're part of, we're part of that club uh, together and, and you're doing it in, in your way by working with physicians. And that's a, that is unfortunately a group of individuals that does get targeted because they are busy and uh, they still get the lunchroom visits, unfortunately. So keep, keep doing the good work on that front. And we, again, appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and away from your family to be on our show and share your, your journey with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was really fun to hang out, of course. Thanks. <laughs> and that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.